So let's talk anniversaries to begin. Anniversaries, well, they mark dates, mark dates that we, we want to remember and sometimes we need to remember. There are wedding anniversaries and there's anniversaries of when someone started to work at a company or the anniversary date of when the company started. And those are good anniversaries and you want to remember those. Then there's anniversaries like the anniversary of 9-11 in September. Those are hard anniversaries, but those are anniversaries that we also need to remember. This weekend is the anniversary of when we made the decision to stop worshiping inside our meeting house due to the pandemic. Now we made the decision in our March 2020 monthly meeting for business, and we even canceled at that time our spring 2020 barbecue all in the same weekend. At that point, we had no idea what the next step would be or how long it would last. And I remember jokingly saying in our monthly meeting for business, they didn't teach us in seminary how to pastor through a pandemic. And quite honestly, they didn't. Now at that point, I thought to myself, you know, we'll work through this. This will take maybe two weeks, four weeks, six weeks at the most, but we'll work through it. We'll figure this out. Now I didn't, for one, anticipate in that moment that we, we would be looking at a whole year of lockdowns, surges, health and safety protocols, accelerated vaccine development, and accelerated vaccine distribution. But as I say, here we are, one year later, and so much has happened within this past year. Now, it'd be easy just to blow by this anniversary date because most everyone, I think, is just ready to get back to normal. You know, I totally get it. I'm right there with you. I miss not being able to gather with friends. I, I miss not being able to gather as a faith community and worship. I miss my family. I miss not always having to think so hard about what I need to do next or what I need to remember before I leave the house or before I walk into a building or a store or a restaurant. I just want to get on to the next thing. I want to check off a few boxes. I want to wrap this up and I want to move on to normal life. And that's probably asking a lot since even those things seem to be trending and everything seems to be trending in the right direction. We all kind of hold our collective breath until we feel the trends are more solid. So I do my part. I take it one day at a time, but probably like you, I would like this all to be over with. But anniversaries, they are worth acknowledging and they're worth remembering. They remind us of how far we've come as well as celebrating the years of longevity, whether it be three or five or 30 years, in this case, one year. Anniversaries look to the future, but they invite us to move forward with hope and vision. We can look back to who we have been and what we have learned, and we can look forward to who we want to become when we think about anniversaries. We look back to what we've learned, and we look forward to deepening our own understanding. And we look back to what we would have done differently, and we look forward to how we're gonna do it differently now in the future. So anniversaries, they have us look back through the rear window as well as look ahead through the front window. Now, I think it's important just to take a few moments and affirm with gratitude the way you all have as Deep River Friends Faith Community work together to keep us together. I literally can't say enough for how you as a meeting have worked hard to make everything work so we could keep moving forward as best as possible. Like I've said before, it's as if we've crammed about 20 years of innovation into about one year. We've just stuffed it in there. So I'm grateful to our ministering council who have worked so hard to tend to the spiritual life and health of the meeting during this time and the pastoral care. I'm deeply, deeply grateful to our preparedness committee and who have provided input, feedback, and valuable insight 
in regards to how we transition back indoors. And at times have put their foot on the accelerator, at times have tapped their foot on the brake, all in good timing. I'm grateful for Mark Kirkman, for his gifts, his creativity and ministry of music that I know has blessed you all so much on YouTube video. In fact, that's what I hear the most. I'm deeply grateful for Mike Shaw, who every Saturday takes the bits and pieces of video we give him and he turns it actually into something that makes it look like we actually know what we're doing. So thank you, Mike. And if you're listening to this worship or you're watching it on video, you have Mike Shaw to thank for this. And I'm grateful for all the many ways others have contributed to our videos, to our virtual worship, through music and even children's sermons, and those who help, have helped us uh, set up outside for the outdoor worship of Mold the Yards, Tommy Harden, Dwight Osborne, um, have helped us set up uh, Doug Ross and Frank Ricole uh, and many, many others. And I even hesitate to name people because there have been so many people that have helped. So I'm deeply grateful, deeply grateful to you as Deep River Friends Meeting, also for how you have been flexible, adaptive, and patient. You transitioned well to virtual worship and virtual committee meetings. You've worked with us with all the health and safety protocols. You have been patient as we have sought to move forward in a very prudent manner towards gathering again indoors. And you have gone out of your way to check on others within the meeting and keep them connected. And you have made sure our meeting has continued its ministry to one another. And it's outreach to the community, such as Open Door Shelter, <clears throat> Leslie's House, Hand to Hand Pantry, and our Christmas Giving Tree, and so much more and you have been most generous, literally, with your time and finances, and your continued stewardship has sustained the meeting through probably one of its most challenging seasons and its most challenging year. And I cannot thank you enough, and I know I speak on behalf of the whole meeting and all the leadership when I say we can't thank you enough. So I wanna say that on this anniversary. Now having said all this, though, we're still in the process of moving forward slowly but surely one step at a time. In other words, this is not as much a quick fix as it is a slow and steady healing. We want to make sure we heal well and that we move forward as a faith community, all the while supporting, encouraging, loving, and building one another up. Let's look at that Old Testament passage that I read before I started my message. It's from the book of Numbers 21, 4 through 9. It is a strange story, but essentially the Israelites are a bit worn out they're a bit tired, they're a bit cranky from their wilderness journey. They're wanting things to move a lot faster. They want to get to their destination and they want to get there now. I wonder how many times they would have said, are we there yet? They want it all to be over. Part of the text that I read goes like this. But the people became impatient on the way. The people spoke against God and against Moses. And they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we detest the miserable food. That's pretty sharp language. We detest the miserable food. So in other words, the energy of we're all in this together has worn off now. And they just want things to get back to normal. They just want to get to where they want to get to. They just want to get to their destination. Now what happens next is one of those strange stories in the scriptures. The Lord sends poisonous serpents to bite the people. And as a result, many of them died. Now, right away, the people asked Moses to pray to God to take away the serpents and ask for forgiveness for how they spoke against God and against Moses. And Moses does just that, and God even instructs Moses to make a poisonous serpent and put it on a pole, and whenever someone is snake-bitten, they can look at the serpent of bronze, and they will live. Now, I don't know if one can be sure 
ever be sure what biblical writers intended ultimately with these stories, but I want to suggest this simply for your consideration. Now, you've heard the term snake-bitten. When we say that person is snake-bit, it's a way of saying, you know, nothing seems to come out right for that person. It never, ever seems to end well. And maybe even in some ways that person always seems to sabotage their own success, their own fruitfulness, their own flourishing, which leads to their snake-bit outcomes. And we say that person really is snake-bit. I want to suggest this, that nothing snake-bits community, nothing snake-bits organizations, nothing snake-bites or bits, uh, nothing snake-bits a faith community more than impatience, which leads to complaining and sometimes even irritability. In fact, going back to our text in Numbers 21, the translation reads that the people were irritable and cross. However you want to translate it, these folks traveling through the desert had moved from we're all in this together, and now they were impatient, now they were irritable, now they were cross, and now they were complaining, and it brought out the poisonous snakes. You see, nothing poisons community more than impatience, irritability, complaining, and being cross with one another. Kind of even in my own layperson's observation of society, I've noticed how society started out last year with this theme, we're all in this together, to now a somewhat generalized feeling of impatience, of complaining, of irritability, of being cross with one another. And to be fair, I guess it can be understood. It's been a long journey and it can wear on everyone and anyone. But it can also poison the very community necessary to work together and to get back to where we need to be. Even faith communities, church fellowships, can be poisoned by this impatience, complaining, irritability, and crossness with one another. At one level, I guess it is understandable because living in community with one another causes people to see the best side of one another, and sometimes we often see our worst side of each other. It's understandable because it's been a long journey for us, as it has for many churches, and there's this desire to get back to normal. It's understandable because within a faith community, like in any family or organization, there's always different expectations. There's always different views. There's always different understandings and there's always different timelines. And you put all of these together and they can clash. And it only is exacerbated when we're emotionally and mentally tired. But even with all of that, my invitation for me and for us and my encouragement, including myself, is for patience with the process and with one another. Because when we can practice patience, we're able to admit that the conditions are not ideal. The process is probably not going at my preferred rate of speed, but I value, we value our life together, and I and we value the relationships more than we value our own personal preference and our own personal agenda. And that is really a definition of love. You know, in his letters to some of the early churches, the Apostle Paul was very sensitive to this fragile nature of community, and he knew what was necessary to keep relationships healthy and the community whole. So, for example, to the Colossians, he wrote, quote, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. In other words, the same way that you and I choose what we'll wear and how we will clothe ourselves when the day starts, Paul invites us to choose these qualities that keep the community healthy and whole. These qualities don't just happen. Your clothes don't just jump out of the closet and say, here, wear me. You choose what you will clothe yourself with. Paul is inviting us to choose these qualities 
in conjunction with the Spirit's work in our life, to be patient and meek and humble and kind and compassionate with one another. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Note the language. Paul isn't just politely asking. He's begging. He's begging because he knows the wholeness and health of a faith community depends on each person's willingness to practice humility, gentleness, patience, and love with one another. Why? Because nothing snake bites and poisons a community more than impatience, complaining, irritability, and crossness. In John's Gospel, we read in chapter 3 where reference is made to this really interesting Old Testament story. In his, in his conversation with Nicodemus, Jesus says to him, And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, this eternal life that Jesus references to Nicodemus is not just life in heaven after we die. Eternal life is this quality of life that we can experience now. It is the presence of the, the divine filling our lives in the present so that we're able to live life well, to live lives that are whole, to live in the way of Jesus. And John is making reference to how Jesus will die, that is being lifted up on a cross, but he's also proclaiming that putting our faith and trust in the person of Jesus and the way of Jesus will lead us to life, to an aliveness that we would not be able to do and to, to, to manufacture on our own. For John, eternal life simply means life, or life to the full, or the abundant life. It's John's way of describing what it means to live in the kingdom of God. So for John, eternal life is to live this interactive life with God in the present. And it means knowing God and being known by God in the present. It means to live differently than how everyone else is living. It's to, it's to be alive. It's to be fully alive when every, everyone around us is choosing deadness. Brian McLaren writes about this aliveness and he puts it this way. What we all want, he writes, is pretty simple really. We want to be alive, to feel alive, not just to exist, but to thrive, to live out loud, to walk tall, to breathe free. We want to be less lonely, less exhausted, less conflicted or afraid, more awake, more grateful, more energized and purposeful. We capture this kind of mindful over, over brimming life in terms like well-being, shalom, blessedness, wholeness, harmony, life to the full, and aliveness or eternal life. So here's what I want to leave with you on this anniversary date of our addressing the challenges of the pan pandemic head on. Let's look back to see how far we've come but to also see what we've learned about ourselves as individuals and a Quaker faith community. As we keep taking that next step, what do we need to let go of and leave behind? And who are we being called to be as we move forward, both as a community and as individuals? What are our next steps in our own formation, our growth, and our development? Then let's look forward and dream of what we can be and how we have an opportunity to create something new and fresh and alive. Let's Take with us from the past that which still works, that which still breathes life and gives us life. But let's also be open to the new that God is doing in the future and join God in that newness and creativity and be willing to let go 
of that which no longer works and no longer is giving life. And this is all true for us individually as well as a faith community. What can we look forward to? Who do we want to become? How can we partner with God to create? And between looking back to what we've learned and looking forward to what we can be, let's heed the words of John in chapter 3 and lift up, if you will, the person of Jesus and the presence of the living Christ within our own lives and the life of our community. As we lift up the living Christ in our own lives and the life of our community, we can have faith and trust that we will be shown the way. We can have faith and trust that hope will be reborn in our lives. We can have trust and faith that we will be able to know experientially what it means to live fully alive, even as God's grace heals us of our own hurts, our wounds, and our grief. We can have trust and faith that even amidst our anxiousness and fear, God will lead us one step at a time in the way that we need to go. And as we individually, and as we as a faith community continually lift up Jesus, and we don't end up lifting up our own preferences or maybe our own agendas, our own way of doing things. And in that way, we continue to have patience with one another and to walk in the way with one another with all humility and love and compassion and endurance and perseverance and grace. Author and minister Frederick Buechner once wrote these words, quote, you can survive on your own, you can grow strong on your own, you can prevail on your own, but you cannot become human on your own. Congregations still matter. Faith communities still matter. Relationships still matter. And we need each other to help us become more human so that in the end, our world can become more humane.